steps into the practice of worshipping him, our desires begin to change and shape towards that. So the idea of unity, how is that a practice? Well, if you think about it, in your own heart, you normally desire what you want. <laughs> You're independent. Most of us are just independent. And our default setting is normally to just be independent, go after the things we want. So to learn to uh, operate in unity would require a shift in our desire, wouldn't it? We would require that we kind of shape our desire around something that's not centered on us. And that's kind of the a central idea around um, the idea of practicing unity. Has anyone ever seen disunity practiced? <laughs> anyone ever experienced that? <laughs> it's something that can be done, right? In fact, it's almost done quite easily, quite often. And so that's certainly a practice that happens. So we're saying, well, if we can practice that easily, surely we can practice a unity uh, uh, as well. And so we want to look at this morning, how do we practice unity as, a, as believers? And so Charlotte read the text for us from 1 Corinthians 12. You know, um, we can practice things uh, until they begin to shape us, and then we, we need God to help top up the rest. You know, that we, we can never do all that we need to do without the presence of God, without Jesus' help, without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We learn to depend on God. It doesn't come to us naturally. All these practices, we learn to do them. So even if you think about trusting God, who trusts God all the time by themselves? Anyone? No. <laughs> you learn to depend on God. Who just reads their Bible like 18 hours a day? Or do you, is that something you learn to do? And you go, Who prays all the time? Anyone? Or is that something you grow and you learn to do? Right? So all these practices, it's not, they just don't happen naturally. We learn and we depend on God for them. You, the practice of unity is similar. It doesn't just happen. You don't wake up one morning and suddenly you don't care about you, yourself and love others more than yourself. Anyone experience that one morning? You woke up on Tuesday and that happened to you? Please come lay hands on me. I'd love to receive the gift you have. <laughs> no, these are practices. There's something we learn to do and we, we, give, we give ourselves to them. And so uh, the first thing we want to look at is that we all have a longing for unity and a struggle with independence. <laughs> And these are going. So we do long for unity. I don't know if you've noticed, people tend to go into groups. We always sort of go into groups. You know, you might love a certain sport or a certain team. You go and join that team, right? West Coast Eagles, Fremantle Dockers, or let's just settle down. We just go for our, we group ourselves. It might be you love a particular sport, skydiving. Actually, that's not a sport, that's madness, right, Carl? <laughs> And you form a community around it. There's a whole community out there who go live in the desert and jump out planes. Like, what is that about? But we, but we form these groups that we love. Maybe you are a coffee drinker or a non-coffee drinker, and you look down on those who do or don't drink coffee. You kind of side with someone, right? You, you might even... That's the sort of basis of all Hallmark movies, isn't it? The longing for this perfect family, this unity. Like, I don't know Hallmark movies, but from what I understand... There's a, there's a person longing for perfection of, of a family, and what happens is there's some handsome boy or girl arrives, and there's a confusion, some misunderstanding, but then they work it out, and they live happily ever after in the perfect unity of a beautiful family. It's a great storyline. They should repeat it. <laughs> but there's this longing for, like, a, a, 
where's the perfect family? Where's, where's the perfect group? Where's, we, it can be national identity. Our, we, we, take, we sort of group, a, I'm, I'm in Kiwi. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Versus the Australian, the great divide across the ditch. We can even divide ourselves around uh, the wealthy and the poor. Sometimes I've, I've noticed, you know, you can go, oh, wealthy people are so um, stupid and, and ignorant and, and unsensitive. They don't understand the poor. And what you're doing is you're really just exalting the poor. And so you kind of have this hatred towards wealthy people. That can even be a grouping. It's like, I'm for the poor, but not for the wealthy. Or it can be the other way around. I'm for the wealthy and not for the poor. You sigh, you... The, the human heart just loves to group and looking for this kind of identity. What's the perfect group? It can happen even in the church on theological positions. You can be Calvinist or, Luther, or Arminian or Lutheranian in your position. If you don't know what those are, don't worry too much. Just keep loving Jesus. You can do it around many, many different things. And you can sort of group like, where's my group and who am I? You know, we have this longing for a, a, a unity, with this longing, desire to be part of, but not only that, we want to be part of the best thing, you know, or we begin to think that our, whatever group we've sided with, can happen even between the sexes, men and women, you know, you can push down women to make men great, or you can push down men to make women great, and it's kind of like side, it's like some ver- versus thing, and uh, that's the human sort of longing in, our, in us to do that. It happens even in the political, especially if you've been awake for the last year or two, you've seen how politics has gone crazy with sides and like our side's right, their side's wrong, etc., etc. That's just the human heart. We desire to be part of the best group and we desire to be part of the most right group. This desire is then sabotaged by our own desire for independence. A desire for independence then breaks down unity. And what happens is James 4 describes it like this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights? Ever thought about that? Why is there disunity? James makes it very clear. He says it comes from internal. It's because of your desires, your passions, that war within you. All breakdown in unity comes from an internal desire for me to be right and first. <laughs> he says that you, you fight because you don't get what you want. That's how James describes it. And so unity has this problem of independence. And so there are two kind of errors in, in that happen in unity. One is independence and one is conformity. So you can say, well, let's everyone make everybody the same by conforming them. We set up a dictator who tells everyone what to do and everyone must be exactly the same, behave the same, dress the same, carry on the same. Obviously, that's not real unity, right? That's just uh, oppression. But the opposite, so that is not a real unity, but the opposite is also true. A great um, exaltation of our independence doesn't free us into unity, it actually breaks down unity because we start to look down on others. Oh, they don't drink coffee, I do. They hold that position, I don't. So I want to be free to hold all, and then what happens is you start to look down on others. So independence is also in opposition to the unity. So this all sounds a little bit um, not great news. Don't worry, we're getting to Jesus soon. He's good news. 
Do you know that independence sometimes goes like this? It goes, you ever heard of the phrase, think outside of the box? Well, it depends what you mean when you say that. Most people who use that phrase, I've seen, are people who end up shipwrecking their unity in their lives. Because the way they mean it is, if you, if you mean it as we're all uniquely gifted, uh, then I agree. You know, we, got, we can't all fit in a box. We're not boxing everyone. But if you mean it that the rules of God, God doesn't apply to me, the boundary lines that God has put up in place don't apply to me, I'm outside the box, then you're, not, you, you're using that phrase in the wrong way. What you're meaning is, I want to be so independent that I'm, not, I'm outside of God's... It's only, it's only a baby, that's fine. Sorry, Julia, and well done, if you, if you mean that phrase is like God's God rules, what you mean is I want to jump off on the freeway. I want to, I'm free to jump in the oncoming lane. Well, you are, but you might get crushed by a giant truck. And, and so there are some boundaries which God has put in place which are good for us. So true independence doesn't mean just total freedom to do whatever we want. So thinking outside the box is great if you mean that you, you still understand that God has boundaries for us. And so this independence thinking can begin to break down unity. God has put boundaries in place which are good for us, but we don't mean uniformity, that everyone should be exactly the same. So we're going to pause there for a moment. This is kind of the little scratch around. And we've asked a question like, there's these kind of ideas that are pulling on us, these desires that are in us, pulling us towards groupings. You know, I want to be, this is, and, and then those things begin to just bubble up in our heart that we, we see them as super important. And so I'm going to put up three or four questions. And what I'd love to do is just break up into groups of maybe three or four. And as much as you feel comfortable, just discuss some of these questions. Don't stress if you don't get through all of them. And if you don't have a full debrief on every single question, you won't be able to do that in five minutes. <laughs> but um, can Brian, can we just put up the first two? So we just want to scratch around and maybe what are some of the things in your heart which you drift to, the kind of groupings which are, oh, these are my people, which are the best. The coffee drinkers, we unite and we look down on everyone else. Or the political position you hold, or whatever it might be. Is that okay? You guys keen to participate this morning? I don't want to do all the work. We'll do some, some, some work out there. Um, all right, let's do that. Break up into a few groups. We'll take five minutes to chat about that, and then we'll, then we'll look at Jesus. All right. You know, uh, the practice of independence in an unhealthy way breaks down unity. It automatically de-unifies when we hold that kind of independence because we are claiming that we have a higher value or importance than others. That's really what we're saying. If something other than God's love and grace is the center of our identity and value, it will cause us to look down on others who are not the same as you or me or who don't hold the same position as you. When God is at the center, it frees you to be completely, uniquely you, but also to value others more than yourself. Think about that. That is an amazing statement. The true grace of God, when you truly come into Jesus, you are completely free to be completely you, while at the same time valuing others more than yourself. That's crazy. Is that even possible? <laughs> That's what the Scripture teaches. And so we just begin to look at our own hearts and go, is that true of me? Do I value others more than myself? Or as Tim Keller says, anyone who idolizes also demonizes. 
and in so doing you become a hypocrite contributing to the tearing down of love, peace and kindness that you are pretending to support. So you're pretending, let's use an AFL example, you're pretending to be an AFL supporter uh, or supporting the AFL but what you're doing by being an eagle's nut is you're tearing down the other teams <laughs> and you just want the worst for them. Now, it's a silly example, but you see how it works. When you exult in one thing, you want the others to be crushed. Who in the grand final wants their other team to win? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Dockers, Eagles final, and you're an Eagles supporter, and you root, are you shouting for the Dockers? No, you're shouting at the Dockers. <laughs> shouting at their supporters. That's what happens. You begin to, that's what uh, independence does. And so that's what Keller is, is, is pointing at. When you idolize something else, you automatically begin to put down other things. The kingdom is upside down. Can you imagine a unity which looks different to that? Not a unity by conformity. We got the biggest team and the best and everyone must join our team and then we will finally establish dominance and everyone will be unified. <laughs> that's not how the kingdom works. Kingdom works the opposite way by putting others above yourself. That's amazing, upside down, impossible without Jesus. And so what is the biblical picture of unity? We looked at what's in our hearts. You can take that down now, Brian. I might be scaring some people. Thank you. So when you idolize, you automatically demonize. When you idolize men, you demonize women. When you idolize womanhood, you can demonize men, possibly. When you idolize your nation, you can demonize other nations. When you idolize the poor, you demonize the wealthy. When you idolize your theological position, you demonize anyone who doesn't hold it. When you idolize your political position, you demonize those who don't hold yours. And then Charlotte read to us the kind of unity that the Bible describes, 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ. Is this real? this kind of unity that the Bible teaches. The essential breakdown of humanity has been going on since the fall. Adam and Eve sinned, their children killed each other. That's, that's how quickly our hearts <laughs> head towards disunity. You know, um, but Genesis chapter 11, there's the Tower of Babel where, what do they do? They form a group to throw off God. They get together. We all want this because we, don't want, we want to get rid of God. We don't want God's ways. And it's kind of groups can do that to us. They kind of, we group around because what we really want is we want God to be second. Whereas God will only wants to be first. And so this is the picture that happens continually. And God's response to the breakdown and disunity of independence is his body the church. The perfect unity of humanity only comes in Jesus. And when we are born again and grafted into the body. Now, I'm not saying the church has perfect unity. You only have to look around to know that. But we are being built up. And, the, and I'll read the text again in a moment, just so we can actually hear it again, that what God is doing, the solution to the breakdown of human heart and society is the church. That's a big statement. Actual unity, real unity, is in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. What is the, the group, if you like, that will heal your identity? What group can you join 
that will cause you not to hate and look down on others? Well, you have to be born again. You have to come into the body, into Jesus. That is the real unity. The church holds the one thing that is the most beautiful and real unity possible. Every other unity slowly breaks down and causes us to uh, look down on others. But it's the church, the body of Christ, which is the perfect and beautiful unity. You know that the purpose of God is to let his glory, his goodness, his love, his kingdom rule over the entire earth. The glory of the Lord, the Bible describes, to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea completely. And how's that going to happen? Through the church, it says. And we'll read a prayer later where Jesus prays for that unity of the church so that that exact thing might happen, that his kingdom, his glory might cover the whole world. So I want to say to you that Jesus' church is the one group where you can join without becoming a hypocrite. <laughs> now that sounds controversial because there are many in the church who don't do it like that. And I want to ask you, do you, how do you do it? Do you believe that the body is one body? Think about that statement for a moment. You are the body of Christ. You are one body. Do you live like that? Do you speak like that? Do you actually believe that, you, that this body is the most important uh, grouping, more important than any other grouping you could be a part of? Theologically, that is true. This, the body of Christ is the most important thing you could ever be a part of. But downstream from that, do you live like that? I think most of us can agree theologically, yep, Jesus being, part, being grafted into the body is the most important thing. But then downstream from that, sometimes we can live in ways that I've just, we've described earlier, that we can live in ways which break down that unity rather than uphold it as the highest thing, the most important thing. So 1 Corinthians reads like this. So I'm just going to find it. For just as the body is one and many members, all the members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Not it will be, so it is with Christ. Paul describes that this is the oneness that we have. He says it's one only by the Holy Spirit, because you were all baptized into this body by the Spirit. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or frees, all were made one in Christ. So he literally starts to list off a few of those categories. Whether you were Fremantle Dockers or West Coast Eagles, whether you were male or female, whether you were Jew or Greek, Australian or New Zealander, wherever you, doesn't matter, he says, the essential oneness of the body trumps all of that. Whether you were a coffee drinker or a non-coffee drinker, whether you hold this political position or that political position. And then he goes on to describe how each part is members of that body, and he says, God has arranged it. God has put the body together and arranged it. Who does the arranging? God. Do we do the arranging? Unfortunately not. Do we try to do the arranging? Sometimes. God arranges it. If, if you're an eye, you're an eye. If you're a foot, you're a foot. If you're the toenail, that's me, then you're the toenail. That's just what I am. God arranged it, and he, he does it. But it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and it's one body. So to speak and to break down unity means that we are now starting to work against what God is orchestrating. That's, that's a little scary to think that we might participate in something like that. God arranges the body, and there's no person or church who has all the giftings 
no denomination which has all the giftings or needs. It's only the whole church. Is this real? Is there essential unity? Can this kind of unity exist when humans are involved? You might ask. Well, it is where history is going. Revelation says that, it's a text we read last week around worship, it says, and that the bride was dressed beautiful and white, adorned in perfection, ready. Said the, and interestingly enough, it said the bride had made herself ready, talking about the church. Who made himself ready? The church had become ready, had become unified. One beautiful bride had made herself ready and was beautiful. It, it is where history is heading. History is heading to a beautiful bride prepared for Jesus. And that's what God is doing in the earth. He's preparing himself for people from every nation. So if this is where God is heading, where, unity, where, where the, the church is heading into one glorious, beautiful body, how do we participate in that? Can we participate in it? We've already said we don't want to participate in a way that breaks down things, and we can easily do that. And so I want to ask you, take stock, take your pulse. Do I participate in ways that break down this body? Or do I participate in ways that build up this body? How do we do it? Thanks for asking. If you open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, we'll have a little picture which shows us how to do it. Philippians chapter 2 teaches us that in one way, this kind of unity in the body only comes through humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, let's read, if, uh, I'll read it to you if you can't get it on, on your Bible or on your phone. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider or count others more significant or more important than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then from verse 5, he goes on to describe how Jesus did this, how Jesus modeled this perfectly. I wanted to notice a few things about this passage. It describes that the believers who are in Christ, if you are in Jesus, you've been placed in Jesus into this body, it says you have encouragement in Christ. You have the help of Jesus to do this. You have encouragement and you have comfort from the love of Christ. Christ loves you so much that you can put others before yourself. It says if you have any participation in the Spirit, if you are claiming to walk with God, if you say, oh, I've got the Holy Spirit, I have participation, I'm walking with God, then it begins to look like this. This is what he's describing. Those who are participating with the Holy Spirit are putting others in front of themselves. They are humble in nature. If you're not humble, you are lacking some dimension of walking with the Holy Spirit. It says, if you have participation with the, the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, and make my joy complete by being of the same mind and having the same love and in full accordance and with one mind. So he's saying participation in the Spirit looks like a love and a unity. I wonder if that is, that is uh, powerful and amazing. Participating with the Holy Spirit helps us to do this. He doesn't mean one mind, I think, in conformity. He means one mind in bringing glory to Jesus. Because later on in the text, if you read down, he goes and talks about how Jesus did all of this to the glory of God the Father. So even Jesus laying down his life so that God might be brought glory. The, the one mind is we want to make Jesus above all. We want to 
see this glory go to the whole earth. We want this church to be a glorious unity. We want Jesus above all. That's the one minus we're talking about. Not one minus, everyone please think the same. Don't have an opinion. He's saying the unity is one of love through participation in the Holy Spirit. And what does it look like? It comes with a humility. It means that we count others more significant than ourselves. That is an amazing statement and a counter-cultural statement. Do you consider others more significant than yourself? When we're in a body, you know, I'm, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room because I can see a lot of you out there. But it doesn't, it doesn't, what it does is it releases us. So you don't have to be the smartest, the cleverest, the part of the best group. And then you don't have to hold your opinions as the smartest, as the best, as the cleverest. You don't have to hold your theological position as the best. You can go, oh, great, there's smarter people than me who think differently on all of these things. And, and that's okay. I've got, I, I can love, I can bow the spirit, I can love and put Jesus above my brain. <laughs> Thankfully. Not, not I don't have theological convictions, I, I believe him, but... I believe more of more importance is humbling myself below others and considering others, even putting others' opinions above mine. That's literally what he's talking about. Do you put others' opinions by yourself? Do you humbly consider, I'm going to have a discussion. Let me, let me, let me give you an example from my marriage. <laughs> oops, oops, careful. Anna's, Anna's in the kids, so, that, so she can have to listen to this and correct it later. But when you are in a marriage, you've got two opinions, right? If you experience any relationship, it doesn't have to be a marriage. If you've ever been friends with anyone or known anyone else or interacted with another human being, you'll discover there's other opinions. Now, I might have an opinion on what we should do, let's say in a matter of disciplining the kids or doing something, and I go, you know, I think this is the best godly way to do it. This is the theology for it, and the best actual thing we should do is, is let's say, plan A, and it's perfect. Okay, this is, this is, my plan is... <laughs> Not perfect, but in, in this fake scenario, I, I've come up with the perfect theological answer, the perfect practical answer, and my opinion is perfect, and my, my plan is perfect. Then Anna has a second opinion, which is not as good as mine, all right? Just imagine it. I know it's hard to imagine, but there's a, there's a second opinion, which is not as good as mine. And the, the theology is good. It's not ungodly, but there's like a few things, and it's kind of, it is B, let's say, pretend. Now, I can drive home and force my opinion, and I might even be 100. Let's pretend for a moment that God, God the, uh, I am correct. We could do a plan A, and actually the results, let's call them C, D, and E, are mediocre. But let's say we chose instead to do Anna's plan B, but actually what God had in store was D, E, F, G, and H, which were awesome and amazing, which came about through sort of something which is slightly less, less perfect in theology, like, uh, I want to be very careful, less perfect in, in execution and, and all that sort of stuff. But God was doing much more. And if I had just gone, you know what, it does, it's not a life and death thing. Uh, let's choose yours, babe. Let's, let's do, uh, I honor yours better than mine. Let's go there. And God can actually end up doing more through, through what you thought was B. Because that's honoring, that's what happened with the cross, right? It was like the idea that the disciples were like, no, no, that's, that's, plan, that's plan B. Like Jesus dying, that, that ain't, that, no, no, hang on a second. Let's, I've got, I got, you know, I got some better ideas. 
And what happens? Suddenly, and that's the point is when you elevate your opinion and your thoughts to this is God's plan A. And we, we ought to do this. And I'm going to crush other people to make sure this happens. <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> I think God's, you are, you can, God exits most often in that proud situation, exits from your plan. In fact, you most often find yourself working against God. And so I can fight for A and maybe even get it through in my family and slowly destroy my family. Now, that can happen in the church as well. We hold such strong opinions and we think, and you, you ought to think that you're right. Like, even when I submit my A to Anna's B, I still might think I'm right, but it's okay. I go, oh, great, we'll just do that. Let God, let God come through. Let God. So I'm not, I'm not proposing we do things that are ungodly. I hope you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the distinction? My point is practicing humility, practicing unity requires a built-in humility. If you do not practice humility, you are practicing disunity. You're growing disunity. And so, I don't want to go on too long about this, but we're going to, we're going to do another little exercise in, in a moment. There's no higher agenda on the earth than the glory of God covering the whole earth. And God has ordained that that advancement of His glory will happen through His kingdom and through the church. Whenever you form a group to do something other than build up the body of Christ, you find yourself building something that is not the purpose of history, and then... It may not be, but if that group then divides the church, you have now begun to work against God, and that will not prevail. Whether God removes you or removes it, or that system that you bought in your crumbles, it will not prevail. Whatever destroys the church will not prevail. You can be sure of that. And you might go down with, with it. Are you humble? Or do you hold your opinion above others? Let's do a little workshop on unity. <laughs> Can we put up the, the next one, Brian? We'll do spend, we're going to spend five minutes talking about a biblical picture of unity and what does it mean for us. Get back into your little groups of three, of three or four, whatever you've done, and, and maybe chat through some of these questions, and then we'll land in the last section. You good? You okay? Still breathing? Wonderful. Uh, just to clarify... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a humbling question even to ask, right? Do I consider others before myself or ahead of myself? Do I think other opinions... Do I always assume my opinion is correct and the best? Just for clarity's sake, in our marriage, Anna's, Anna's plans are normally way better than mine. <laughs> so I should, have reversed that exa- I should have reversed that example. It was like <laughs> we graciously go with something Josh thought of and, it, and somehow God rescues it. Um, <laughs> That's, uh, please, yeah. Please, could you send that to my wife? Thanks. Um, do you humbly consider others above yourself? Or do you, and that's the way in which we pursue unity. Or do we enforce our own way and our own desires above others? We think, you know, we ought to look down on others. The practice of unity, I want to read, I'm going to close with, a, with a two texts and, um, and we'll do one more example, hopefully, and go to go to communion, but Jesus and John, if you, can, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 17, or look in your phone, John chapter 17, Jesus describing this glorious reality in prayer. John 17 and verse 20, Jesus prays, he says, I do not ask for these only, praying for the disciples, but I 
but also for those who will believe in me. So that's you. Literally, Jesus here is praying for you if you believe in Jesus. Jesus praying for all who believe through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Think about that picture that Jesus is painting there. His prayer is that we may be one just as the Father and Jesus are one. That's a pretty high level of unity, right? That's Jesus' prayer, that we'd become like that. That that's how, how precious it would be to us. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus links this unity in the church to the world believing in him. That's the escalation of importance that Jesus is placing on, on the unity of the church. I mean, think about that for a moment. To be fighting God on this kind of thing is, well, scary, to be honest. Jesus describing that unity, he links it to the world believing that the Father sent Jesus. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. This should be blowing your mind. Even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So there is a becoming. We're not immediately like that. And as you look, as I look in my heart, as you look in yours, I'm sure you know that already. That God is desired, but Jesus is praying. This is where history is heading. And we have an invitation into participating in what God is doing on the earth in the church by bringing glory to him. That ought to be our highest desire, to bring glory to Jesus. And one of the ways it happens, that this glory comes, the glory that Jesus is describing in this prayer, that the glory he has with the Father is the glory that's going to come to the whole earth, the love and glory and kingdom and goodness and rule and peace and love of God comes, is through the church. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you have loved me. Loved them, sorry, even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for us to become perfectly one. Are you resisting Jesus' prayer by behaving in ways opposite to it? <laughs> Jesus does make us one. We do need to depend on God. And that's why we were talking earlier. This is a practice. This isn't something you wake up doing. This is something we desire to practice. We desire to grow in. We desire to depend on God because Jesus has to do this, right? It says he makes us one. He, will, he has to make it. You can't, I doubt, if you can do this by yourself, well, no, you can't. <laughs> we depend on God to do this. But we can participate through humility and through participating with God and working in what he's doing. We don't become oneness. There's no oneness through dictatorship or conformity like we spoke in the beginning. Oneness does not happen through telling everyone to be the same. It just doesn't work like that. Oneness doesn't happen through independence either like we described in the morning. 
me getting all my groups and my thoughts and my ideas and then me, me thinking that, yep, I've got it all together. That, that just actually is the opposite to unity. It doesn't happen through passivity either. You know, the cemetery is very uniform. Everyone's just in dead road. No one's nothing. It's all the same. It's all, yep, yeah, look, everyone's, this is great. There's a harmony here. Everyone's dead. No one's doing anything. So it doesn't happen by ignoring it. Just, oh, don't worry. It'll take care of itself. It's not a, it's a participation from us. Jesus is praying for us. He has to do it. And we get to participate in it. Isn't it beautiful? I want to encourage you this morning. Do you participate in this practice, this spiritual practice of unity? Or is your practice disunity more often? What are the words you speak? Not just in the church, but to people in the church in general, to your brothers and sisters, do you practice unity or disunity? Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, the, on the beard of Aaron, running down onto his collar and his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the Mount Zion. I'm not, we won't preach on Psalm 133, but he just says how good and pleasant and beautiful it is when this happens, for there the Lord commands the blessing life forevermore. Just two things to notice from that passage. Who dwells? Who does the dwelling in unity? Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Does God do that? Or do, are the brothers participating? Are we participating? What was God's part in that psalm? He was commanding the blessing. <laughs> it wasn't like there's a blessing and that will cause us to be in unity somehow. Just, you know, the Holy Spirit will overtake your church and your life and you'll just one day wake up and be in unity. There's no brothers dwell in unity. Make, create a space where you live like this. Pursue. Yes, God helps us, but we are participating in this dwelling. We, we, we participate in it. It doesn't just happen. And then God commands his blessing, even life forevermore. Unity is something we work out. It doesn't just happen naturally. The natural course of our hearts is towards disunity. This is a spiritual practice. You can practice disunity, but what is your regular practice? I want to encourage you to think about it in this, as our summer series as we look at various habits which shape our lives. This habit will shape your life. How you speak about others, what you think about others. If you think you, you are always right and your thoughts are the greatest, this will shape your life. Do you practice this spiritual discipline? This is a strange one. Isn't it? I, I, honestly, when I first thought about it, I was like, is it really? And the more I thought about it, it absolutely is. It's really something that comes out of our hearts regularly, and we need to tend to it. I want to ask us this morning as we... Um, I might just go straight to communion, I think, rather than doing one more exercise. There is a, if you're desperate for another exercise, I have one right here. Don't, don't be sad. I can, you can come and grab it. But I think maybe, Steve, we'll, we'll just come, come to communion. I think this would be a wonderful opportunity for communion which really is the symbol of what God did to, to unify his body as we, come, as we come together. Do we practice, yeah, come up, Stephen. Just go. Do we practice this unity? Maybe we can use this as an opportunity to think about how do we practice unity as a spiritual discipline. Thanks, Steve. Why don't you take us through that?